Section 9 of Light Science for Leisure Hours. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Light Science for Leisure Hours by Richard A. Proctor. Is the Gulf Stream a Myth? The Gulf Stream has recently attracted a large share of the attention of our men of science. The strange weather which we experienced last winter, see date of essay, has had something to do with this. The influence of the Gulf Stream upon our climate, and the special influence which it is assumed to exercise in mitigating the severity of our winters, have been so long recognized that meteorologists began to inquire what changes could be supposed to have taken place in the great current to account for so remarkable a winter as the last but it happened also that at a meeting of the royal geographical society early in the present year the very existence of the gulf stream was called in question just when meteorologists were disposed to assign to it effects of unusual importance and in the course of the discussion whether there is in truth a gulf stream or rather whether our shores are visited by a current which merits such a name a variety of interesting facts were adduced which were either before unknown or had attracted little attention as at a recent meeting of the same society these doubts have been renewed i propose to examine briefly in the first place a few of the considerations which have been urged against the existence of a current from the gulf of mexico to the neighborhood of our shores and then having rehabilitated the reputation of this celebrated ocean river as i believe i shall be able to do i shall proceed to give a brief sketch of the processes by which the current system of the north atlantic is set and maintained in motion in reality the gulf stream is only a part of a system of oceanic circulation but in dealing with the arguments which have been urged against its very existence we may confine our attention to the fact that according to the views which had been accepted for more than a century there is a stream of water which running out of the gulf stream through the narrows of bimini flows along the shores of the united states to newfoundland and thence right across the atlantic to the shores of great britain it is this last fact which is now called in question the existence of a current as far as the neighborhood of newfoundland is conceded but the fact that the stream flows onward to our shores is denied the point on which most stress is placed is the shallowness of the passage called the bimini narrows through which it is assumed that the whole of the gulf current must pass this passage has a width of about forty miles and a depth of little more than six hundred yards the current which flows through it is perhaps little more than thirty miles in width and a quarter of a mile in depth it is asked with some appearance of reason how this narrow current can be looked upon as the parent of that wide stream which is supposed to traverse the atlantic with a mean width of some five or six hundred miles indeed a much greater width has been assigned to it though on mistaken grounds for it has been remarked that since waifs and strays from the tropics are found upon the shores of portugal as well as upon those of greenland we must ascribe to the current a span equal to the enormous space separating these places 
but the circumstance here dwelt upon can clearly be explained in another way we know that of two pieces of wood thrown into the thames at richmond one might be picked up at putney and the other at gravesend yet we do not conclude that the width of the thames is equal to the distance separating putney from gravesend and doubtless the tropical waifs which have been picked up on the shores of greenland and of portugal have found their way thither by circuitous courses and not by direct transmission along opposite edges of the great gulf current but certainly the difficulty associated with the narrowness of the bemini current is one deserving of careful attention are we free to identify a current six hundred miles in width with one which is but thirty miles wide and not very deep an increase of width certainly not less than thirty-fold would appear to correspond to a proportionate diminution of depth and remembering that it is only near the middle of the narrows that the gulf stream has a depth of four hundred yards we could scarcely assign to the wide current in the mid-atlantic a greater depth than ten or twelve yards this depth seems altogether out of proportion to the enormous lateral extension of the current but besides that even this consideration would not suffice to disprove the existence of a current in the mid-atlantic an important circumstance remains to be mentioned the current in the narrows flows with great velocity certainly not less than four or five miles an hour as the current grows wider it flows more sedately and opposite cape hatteras its velocity is already reduced to little more than three miles an hour in the mid-atlantic the current may be assumed to flow at a rate little exceeding a mile per hour at the outside here then we have a circumstance which suffices to remove a large part of the difficulty arising from the narrowness of the bimini current and we can at once increase our estimate of the depth of the mid-atlantic current fivefold but this is not all it has long been understood that the current which passes out through the narrows of bimini corresponds to the portion of the great equatorial current which passes into the gulf of mexico between the west indian islands we cannot doubt that the barrier formed by those islands serves to divert a large portion of the equatorial current the portion thus diverted finds its way we may assume along the outside of the west indian archipelago and thus joins the other portion which has in the meantime made the circuit of the gulf as it issues from the bimini straits all the maps in which the atlantic currents are depicted present precisely such an outside current as i have here spoken of and most of them assign to it a width exceeding that of the bimini current indeed were it not for the doubts which the recent discussions have thrown upon all the currents charted by seamen i should have been content to point to this outside current as shown in the maps as it is i have thought it necessary to show that such a current must necessarily have an existence since we cannot lose sight of the influence of the west indian isles in partially damming up the passage along which the equatorial current would otherwise find its way into the gulf of mexico whatever portion of the great current is thus diverted must find a passage elsewhere and no passage exists for it 
save along the outside of the West Indian Isles. The possibility that the wide current which has been assumed to traverse the mid-Atlantic may be associated with the waters which flow from the Gulf of Mexico, either through the Narrows or round the outside of the barrier formed by the West Indies, has thus been satisfactorily established. But we now have to consider difficulties which have been supposed to encounter our current on its passage from the Gulf to the Mid-Atlantic. Northwards, along the shores of the United States, the current has been traced by the singular blueness of its waters until it has reached the neighborhood of Newfoundland. Over a part of this course, indeed, the waters of the current are of indigo blue, and so clearly marked that their line of junction with the ordinary seawater can be traced by the eye. Often, says Captain Maury, one half of a vessel may be perceived floating in Gulf Stream water, while the other half is in common water of the sea. So sharp is the line, and such the want of affinity between the waters, and such, too, the reluctance, so to speak, on the part of those of the Gulf Stream to mingle with the littoral waters of the sea. But it is now denied that there is any current beyond the neighborhood of Newfoundland, or that the warm temperature, which has characterized the waters of the current up to this point, can be detected farther out. It is first noticed that as the Gulf Current must reach the neighborhood of Newfoundland with a northeasterly motion, and if it ever reached the shores of the British Isles, would have to travel thither with an almost due easterly motion, there is a change of direction to be accounted for. This, however, is an old, and I had supposed exploded, fallacy. The course of the Gulf Stream from the Bimini Straits to the British Isles corresponds exactly with that which is due to the combined effects of the motion of the water and that of the earth upon its axis. Florida, being much nearer than Ireland to the equator, has a much more rapid easterly motion. Therefore, as the current gets farther and farther north, the effect of the easterly motion thus imparted to it begins to show itself more and more, until the current is gradually changed from a northeasterly to an almost easterly stream. The process is the exact converse of that by which the air currents from the north gradually change into the northwesterly trade winds as they get farther south. But it is further remarked that as the current passes out beyond the shelter of Newfoundland, it is impinged upon by those cold currents from the Arctic seas which are known to be continually flowing out of Baffin's Bay and down the eastern shores of Greenland and it is contended that these currents suffice not merely to break up the gulf current but so to cool its waters that these could produce no effect upon the climate of great britain if they ever reached its neighborhood here again i must remark that we are dealing with no new discovery captain maury has already remarked upon this peculiarity at the very season of the year he says when the Gulf Stream is rushing in greatest volume through the Straits of Florida and hastening to the north with the greatest rapidity, there is a cold stream from Baffin's Bay, Labrador, and the coasts of the north, running south with equal velocity. One part of it underruns the Gulf Stream, as is shown by the icebergs, 
which are carried in a direction tending across its course. There can be no doubt, in fact, that this last circumstance indicates the manner in which the main contest between the two currents is settled. A portion of the Arctic current finds its way between the Gulf Stream and the continent of America, and this portion, though narrow, has a very remarkable effect in increasing the coldness of the American winters. But the main part, heavier by reason of its coldness than the surrounding water, sinks beneath the surface, and the well-known fact mentioned by Maury that icebergs have been seen stemming the Gulf Stream suffices to show how comparatively shallow that current is at this distance from its source, and thus aids to remove a difficulty which we have already had occasion to deal with. Doubtless the cooling influence of the Arctic currents is appreciable, but it would be a mistake to suppose that this influence can suffice to deprive the Gulf current of its distinctive warmth. If all the effect of the cold current were operative on the Gulf Stream alone, we might suppose that, despite the enormous quantity of comparatively warm water which is continually being carried northwards, the current would be reduced to the temperature of the surrounding water. But this is not so. The Arctic current not only cools the Gulf current, but the surrounding water also, possibly to a greater extent, for it is commonly supposed that a bed of ordinary seawater separates the two main currents from each other. Thus the characteristic difference of temperature remains unaffected. But in reality, we may assume that the cooling effect actually exercised by the Arctic current upon the neighboring sea is altogether disproportionate to the immense amount of heat continually being carried northwards by the Gulf Stream. It is astonishing how unreadily two sea currents exchange their temperatures, to use a somewhat inexact mode of expression. The very fact that the littoral current of the United States is so cold, a fact thoroughly established, shows how little warmth this current has drawn from the neighboring seas. Another fact, mentioned by Captain Maury, bears in a very interesting manner upon this peculiarity. He says, If any vessel will take up her position a little to the northward of Bermuda, and steering thence for the Capes of Virginia, will try the water thermometer all the way at short intervals, she will find its reading to be now higher, now lower, and the observer will discover that he has been crossing streak after streak of warm and cool water in regular alternations. Each portion maintains its own temperature, even in the case of such warm streaks as these, all belonging to one current. Similar considerations dispose of the arguments which have been founded on the temperature of the sea bottom. It has been proved that the living creatures which people the lower depths of the sea exist under circumstances which evidence a perfect uniformity of temperature, and arguments on the subject of the Gulf Stream have been derived from the evidence of what is termed a minimum thermometer, that is, a thermometer which will indicate the lowest temperature it has been exposed to, let down into the depths of the sea. All such arguments, whether adduced against or in favor of the Gulf Stream theory, must be held to be futile, since the thermometer in its descent 
may pass through several submarine currents of different temperature. Lastly, an argument has been urged against the warming effects of the Gulf Stream upon our climate, which requires to be considered with some attention. It is urged that the warmth derived from so shallow a current as the Gulf Stream must be, by the time it has reached our shores, could not provide an amount of heat sufficient to affect our climate to any appreciable extent. The mere neighborhood of this water at a temperature slightly higher than that due to the latitude could not, it is urged, affect the temperature of the inland counties at all. This argument is founded on a misapprehension of the beautiful arrangement by which nature carries heat from one region to distribute it over another. Over the surface of the whole current, the process of evaporation is going on at a greater rate than over the neighboring seas, because the waters of the current are warmer than those which surround them. The vapor thus rising above the Gulf Stream is presently wafted by the southwesterly winds to our shores and over our whole land. But as it thus reaches a region of comparative cold, the vapor is condensed, that is, turned into fog or mist or cloud according to circumstances. It is during this change that it gives out the heat it has brought with it from the Gulf Stream. For precisely as the evaporation of water is a process requiring heat, the change of vapor into water, whether in the form of fog, mist, cloud, or rain, is a process in which heat is given out. Thus it is that the southwesterly wind, the commonest wind we have, brings clouds and fogs and rain to us from the Gulf Stream, and with them brings the Gulf Stream warmth. Why the southwesterly winds should be so common, and how it is that over the Gulf Stream there is a sort of air channel along which winds come to us, as if by their natural pathway, are matters inquired into farther on. The subject is full of interest, but need not here detain us. It would seem that a mechanism involving the motion of such enormous masses of water as the current system of the Atlantic should depend on the operation of very evident laws. Yet, a variety of contradictory hypotheses have been put forward from time to time respecting this system of circulation, and even now the scientific world is divided between two opposing theories. Of old, the Mississippi River was supposed to be the parent of the Gulf Stream. It was noticed that the current flows at about the same rate as the Mississippi, and this fact was considered sufficient to support the strange theory that a river can give birth to an ocean current. It was easy, however, to overthrow this theory. Captain Livingston showed that the volume of water which is poured out of the Gulf of Mexico in the form of an ocean stream is more than a thousand times greater than the volume poured into the Gulf by the Mississippi River. Having overthrown this old theory of the Gulf Stream, Captain Livingston attempted to set up one which is equally unfounded. He ascribed the current to the sun's apparent yearly motion and the influence thus exerted on the waters of the Atlantic. A sort of yearly tide is conceived, according to this theory, to be the true parent of the Gulf Current. 
it need hardly be said however that a phenomenon which remains without change through the winter and summer seasons cannot possibly be referred to the operation of such a cause as a yearly tide it is to dr franklin that we owe the first theory of the gulf stream which has met with general acceptance he held that the gulf stream is formed by the outflow of waters which have been forced into the caribbean sea by the trade winds so that the pressure of these winds on the atlantic ocean forms according to dr franklin the true motive power of the gulf stream machinery according to maury this theory has come to be the most generally received opinion in the mind of seafaring people it supplies a moving force of undoubted efficiency we know that as the trade winds travel towards the equator they lose their westerly motion it is reasonable to suppose that this is caused by friction against the surface of the ocean to which therefore a corresponding westerly motion must have been imparted there is a simplicity about franklin's theory which commends it favorably to consideration but when we examine it somewhat more closely several very decided flaws present themselves to our attention consider in the first place the enormous mass of water moved by the supposed agency of the winds air has a weight volume for volume which is less than one eight hundredth part of that of water so that to create a water current an air current more than eight hundred times as large and of equal velocity must expend the whole of its motion now the trade winds are gentle winds their velocity scarcely exceeding in general that of the more swiftly moving portions of the gulf stream but even assigning to them a velocity four times as great we still want an air current two hundred times as large as the water current and the former must give up the whole of its motion which in the case of so elastic a substance as air would hardly happen the upper air being unlikely to be much affected by the motion of the lower but this is far from being all if the trade winds blew throughout the year we might be disposed to recognize their influence upon the gulf stream as a paramount if not the sole one but this is not the case captain maury states that with the view of ascertaining the average number of days during the year that the northeast trade winds of the atlantic operate upon the currents between twenty five degrees north latitude and the equator logbooks containing no less than three hundred eighty thousand two hundred eighty four observations on the force and direction of the wind in that ocean were examined the data thus afforded were carefully compared and discussed the results show that within these latitudes and on the average the wind from the northeast is in excess of the winds from the southwest only one hundred eleven days out of the three sixty five now can the northeast trades he pertinently asks by blowing for less than one-third of the time cause the gulf stream to run all the time and without varying its velocity either to their force or to their prevalence and besides this we have to consider that no part of the gulf stream flows strictly before the trade winds where the current flows most rapidly namely in the narrows of bimini it sets against the wind 
and for hundreds of miles after it enters the atlantic it runs says maury right in the wind's eye it must be remembered that a current of air directed with considerable force against the surface of still water has not the power of generating a current which can force its way far through the resisting fluid if this were so we might understand how the current originating in subtropical regions could force its way onward after the moving force had ceased to act upon it and even carry its waters right against the wind after leaving the gulf of mexico but experience is wholly opposed to this view the most energetic currents are quickly dispersed when they reach a wide expanse of still water for example the niagara below the falls is an immense and rapid river yet when it reaches lake ontario instead of preserving its character as a distinct and well-defined stream for several hundred miles it spreads itself out and its waters are immediately lost in those of the lake here again the question asked by maury bears pertinently on the subject we are considering why he says should not the gulf stream do the same it gradually enlarges itself it is true but instead of mingling with the ocean by broad spreading as the immense rivers descending into the northern lakes do its waters like a stream of oil in the ocean preserve a distinctive character for more than three thousand miles the only other theory which has been considered in recent times to account satisfactorily for all the features of the gulf stream mechanism was put forward we believe by captain maury in this theory the motive power of the whole system of oceanic circulation is held to be the action of the sun's heat upon the waters of the sea we recognize two contrary effects as the immediate results of the sun's action in the first place by warming the equatorial waters it tends to make them lighter in the second place by causing evaporation it renders them salter and so tends to make them heavier we have to inquire which form of action is most effective the inquiry would be somewhat difficult if we had not the evidence of the sea itself to supply an answer for it is an inquiry to which ordinary experimental processes would not be applicable we must accept the fact that the heated water from the equatorial seas actually does float upon the cooler portions of the atlantic as evidence that the action of the sun results in making the water lighter now maury says that the water thus lightened must flow over and form a surface current towards the poles while the cold and heavy water from the polar seas as soon as it reaches the temperate zone must sink and form a submarine current he recognizes in these facts the mainspring of the whole system of oceanic circulation if a long trough be divided into two compartments and we fill one with oil and the other with water and then remove the dividing plate we shall see the oil rushing over the water at one end of the trough and the water rushing under the oil at the other and if we further conceive that oil is continually being added at that end of the trough originally filled with oil 
while water is continually added at the other it is clear that the system of currents would continue in action that is there would be a continual flow of oil in one direction along the surface of the water and of water in the contrary direction underneath the oil but sir john herschel maintains that no such effects as maury describes could follow the action of the sun's heat upon the equatorial waters he argues thus granting that these waters become lighter and expand in volume yet they can only move upwards downwards or sideways there can be nothing to cause either of the two first forms of motion and as for motion sideways it can only result from the gradual slope caused by the bulging of the equatorial waters he proceeds to show that this slope is so slight that we cannot look upon it as competent to form any sensible current from the equatorial towards the polar seas and even if it could he says the water thus flowing off would have an eastward instead of a westward motion precisely as the counter trade winds blowing from equatorial to polar regions have an eastward motion it is singular how completely the supporter of each rival view has succeeded in overthrowing the arguments of his opponent certainly maury has shown with complete success that the inconstant trade winds cannot account for the constant gulf current which does not even flow before them but in places exactly against their force and the reasoning of sir john herschel seems equally cogent for certainly the flow of water from equatorial towards polar regions ought from the first to have an eastward instead of a westward motion whereas the equatorial current of which the gulf stream is but the continuation flows from east to west right across the atlantic equally strange is it to find that each of these eminent men having read the arguments of the other reasserts but does not effectually defend his own theory and repeats with even more damaging effect his arguments against the rival view yet one or other theory must at least point to the true view for the atlantic is subject to no other agencies which can for a moment be held to account for a phenomenon of such magnitude as the gulf stream it appears to me that on a close examination of the gulf stream mechanism the true mainspring of its motion can be recognized compelled to reject the theory that the trade winds generate the equatorial current westward let us consider whether herschel's arguments against the heat theory may not suggest a hint for our guidance he points out that an overflow from the equator polewards would result in an eastward and not in a westward current this is true it is equally true that a flow of water towards the equator would result in a westward current but no such flow is observed is it possible that there may be such a flow but that it takes place in a hidden manner clearly there may be submarine currents towards the equator would have precisely the kind of motion we require and if any cause drew them to the surface near the equator they would account in full for the great equatorial westward current at this point we begin to see that an important circumstance has been lost sight of in dealing with the heat theory 
the action of the sun on the surface water of the equatorial atlantic has only been considered with reference to its warming effects but we must not forget that this action has drying effects also it evaporates enormous quantities of water and we have to inquire whence the water comes by which the sea level is maintained a surface flow from the subtropical seas would suffice for this purpose but no such flow is observed whence then can the water come but from below thus we recognize the fact that a process resembling suction is continually taking place over the whole area of the equatorial atlantic the agent being the intense heat of the tropical sun no one can doubt that this agent is one of adequate power indeed the winds conceived by franklin to be the primary cause of the atlantic currents are in reality due to the merest fraction of the energy inherent in the sun's heat we have other evidence that the indraft is from below in the comparative coldness of the equatorial current the gulf stream is warm by comparison with the surrounding waters but the equatorial current is cooler than the tropical seas according to professor anstead the southern portion of the equatorial current as it flows past brazil is everywhere a cold current generally from four to six degrees below the adjacent ocean if we here recognize the mainspring of the gulf stream mechanism or rather of the whole system of oceanic circulation for the movements observed in the atlantic have their exact counterpart in the pacific we shall have no difficulty in accounting for all the motions which that mechanism exhibits we need no longer look upon the gulf stream as the rebound of the equatorial current from the shores of north america knowing that there is an underflow towards the equator we see that there must be a surface flow towards the poles and this flow must as inevitably result in an easterly motion as the underflow towards the equator results in a westerly motion we have indeed the phenomena of the trades and counter trades exhibited in water currents instead of air currents from the st paul's magazine september eighteen sixty nine end of section nine recording by linda johnson